Hi everyone, welcome to another episode of the Modern Golden Age podcast. Today with me, I have Daniel Gulyurt. Sorry, thank you so much for being here. By the way, I want to start with with this amazing thing, which is you have on your website the way you pronounce your your name. Like you have like this little pun. Can you please describe how can we pronounce your surname? Yes, uh, unfortunately, my last name it's spelled as if it should be rendered Gallagher, but uh, it's actually pronounced Gallier. Gall as in golf, Yer as in yurt. So yeah. Daniel Gallier. Daniel Gallier. Yeah, thank you, Daniel. And. Um, it, it, it's a real pleasure to, to be talking with you. As, as I was saying before we started, you're one of the most fascinating individuals that I have had on the show. Like you. You, you, like you're, you have a degree from Harvard. Uh, you work in a bunch of different places from subways to uh, law firms in, in, and in law firms in different areas. And right now you're in New York. Uh, building a project called Maximum New York. And I really want to talk about politics. Like you have a bunch of phenomenal essays on politics. And I've recorded a bunch of questions related to that. And also mm -hmm. the Maximum New York. But my first question actually would be uh, before, uh, like you mentioned in your, your, in your presentations that you took a degree in Harvard on government. And I was mm -hmm. wondering if you could talk a little bit about that experience. So what was it like to have uh, a degree in, in one of the most prestigious schools uh, or universities that there is? Well, um, it's not what I expected it would be. And th the primary reason is because, and I, I know that this is the case across multiple fields, and it's the case in many universities in America, and I wouldn't be surprised around the world, the degree does not provide an integrated view of the field. The way the degree is structured is something like, um, if you wanted a government degree, you must fulfill 21 credits. Here's a giant list of classes that each fulfill two or three credits. Please pick the ones that you would like to take. So there, for the most part, um, although there are a few small requirements imposed on that, there really is no guidance to acquire a slowly escalating, more complex, integrated view of what is government and how to concretely do government. Mm -hmm. So I got a degree in government because I wanted to learn how to do it best. And the keyword there is do which is to say, make it concrete. But most of the degree program and most of the classes stay away from concreteness, almost as if it is a rule. Mm. So when I graduated, I didn't feel as if I were prepared to be in any position of governments just from the content of my degree. And I don't think many of my classmates were either. Mm. So part of that is a result from the content of the classes. And part of that is a result from the, the structure of the degree program itself, which is to say, for the most part, it's very a la carte. And, but it, although, I mean, the a la carte um, can be beneficial because it allows you to explore your interests. Yeah. But if you are an 18 year old coming to university with the explicit goal of saying, I'm young and I don't know, I need someone to guide me. Yeah. Um, you would hope that the university would give a little bit more guidance. And I think one of the reasons why they don't do that is in the broader culture, to do that would be to impose some value judgments on what is the best way to teach government. Mm. And of course, you might not agree with the value judgments of your government department or your university. Mm -hmm. And I think, well, each university should have a relatively 
straightforward value proposition about how they teach government and students can then select the university that roughly aligns with what they think and maybe they disagree after they get into the program but i think making that value judgment about what the best way to teach government is is important and i think universities abnegate that responsibility yeah and so why government though why what moved you to to make that choice well number one it's the thing that I find most interesting myself, just personally. Uh, I think systems of governance and the history of governance is very interesting and specifically in the American context. I think our government and the way that it originated are fascinating. So it's just fun and it plugs into that part of my brain that enjoys thinking about systems as well yeah. because government is a complex uh, adaptive system. Um, but otherwise and more broadly, it's because government is one of the most important things for human flourishing. A lot of people now focus their efforts on the private sector. Not only does it give them more money, but it often allows them to do what they want and have an, a direct impact more quickly on the world. Mm -hmm. And so I understand why they go into it. Um, and I understand why in increasing numbers, the smart, the kind, the intelligent, and the ambitious stay away from government because it's slower. It doesn't pay as well. Um, and maybe they don't see their efforts translated into results as quickly as they would want. But government is the substrate in which all of society, including the private sector, grows. If it fails, so does all the rest. Mm -hmm. So I think we are, America generally is at a point where the cracks are starting to show in various levels of our government. And more people need to turn towards it and dedicate their efforts to it. And I, I don't, I mean, part of my project is to help them see how very important it is. So um, for me, government is, it is the most important thing. Um, yeah. yeah, so uh, like you, that's a beautiful answer. And you have this beautiful essay on why most people have this wrong notion about politics. Um, and, and I have another question, which is how can we bring those smart, kind and, 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 and intelligent persons to work on the government, because as, as you were saying, everything, including the private sector, happens on the substract of on the context or on the system that's government. So how can we bring people into into working on that? And I don't know if to answer that you want to, to tell to talk about how most people understand politics in, in, in a wrong way. Um, I'll, I'll leave it to, to you. Yeah. So if the question is, how do you get more people into politics, that already presents some other interesting questions. So I'll give some definitions. The first thing is, well, what is politics? And I don't think pretty, I don't think really anyone could give you a coherent definition off the top of their head beyond something they just make up on the spot. What I mean when I say the word politics is the process of determining the rules of society. Government is the institution that codifies those rules legally and the law are, or the law is, legal rules. The government also has a legal monopoly on the use of force to carry out those laws. Mm -hmm. So I mean very specific things when I say all of those words, politics, government, law. And if someone doesn't have very explicit definitions that allows all three of those things to relate to each other smoothly, they should also realize that their understanding of those systems is probably so impoverished that they don't really have a good read on the system. Yeah. So I'll first say that, so definitions are important. Um, beyond that, I think the essay you may have been referring to is the anti-politics meme yeah. essay, maybe. 
So yeah. what I mean by the anti-politics meme, so for if we're asking the question how to get people into government and politics, the one of the largest things that keeps them away is a thing that they don't even know about, which is it's a meme that has infected most people. I call it the anti-politics meme, and it's evident in the way that people speak. So when they say the word politics, it's always used as a synonym for bad. So yeah. for example, people use phrases like, oh, that's they're just being too politically correct. <clears throat> or, oh, that was just office politics, or what a political process that was. When they use that word, what they're actually referring to, for example, if they're referring to office politics or hiring, they say, oh, it was just politics. What they mean actually is, oh, it was nepotism mm. they, or something like that. There's mm. something specific they actually mean. Um, but the phenomenon of using the word politics as a synonym for bad is so widespread that people have stopped reaching for what they actually specifically mean. Yeah. So to start with, people use politics in a way that poisons their mind against the field entirely, and they don't realize it. Um, they certainly are not using that word to refer to the process of determining the rules of society or the science of government, but mm -hmm. that's what it is. Um, I mean, I understand why they're using the word that way. For example, if politics is the process of determining the rules for society, sometimes that doesn't go well, but sometimes it goes fantastically. Yeah. And part of the point of, uh, when I, as I wrote in the anti-politics meme essay, politics, just like anything else, can be good or bad. Mm -hmm. I find some of the most excellent qualities of humanity to come out in politics. I think it can be a beautiful process. And I think politics is the quintessentially human trait. Yeah. I mean, Aristotle and others called us the political animal. Yeah. And I very much agree with that. So I don't think politics are bad. And in general, at their best, they're the most human thing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So the, I really enjoyed the, the moment I knew that our conversation was going to be very interesting to me because I, I really want to learn about this because I, I was reading through your essay and the, the moment I started to understand what you were trying to, to what you were implying, I realized I'm one of those. I'm 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 this person. I've been infected by 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 this meme where I'm I'm I, I I'm not I'm not sure what I mean when I say politics, right? And so when when I realized that, I I immediately started to evaluate like what what were the last conversations that I had where I used mm -hmm. this word and what did I meant by it? And most of the times were negative things. So I was reading through your essay and I was like, I'm going to learn so much with, 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 with Daniel because this makes so much sense. And, and one of the things that, that you, you were saying is that, well, people ended up associating this, this word with, with bad things. And my first question is, and I don't know if you have an answer, but how did that happen? Like, how did it went from Aristotle saying that we are the political animal and suddenly here we are in 2022 and every time that a bunch of us, most people say politics, they mean a negative thing. Uh, how did you, how, what happened? How did we end up here? Do you have any thoughts on that? I don't really have a grand theory as to how exactly it happened. And the things that I do suspect are at the moment too tenuous for me to really weave into something yeah. I think is coherent. But the thing I will comment on is, um, what I think enables this to continue. Mm. Um, so I, I don't think I fully answered the previous question, which is how do you get people into government? Yeah, I, I, I mentioned was, that, yeah. yeah, I. so I mentioned the, the questions to answer before that are, well, how do people regard it? How do people regard politics in general? And I mentioned the anti-politics meme is one of the primary blockers that is usually invisible and people don't even consider. Yeah. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and part of the reason why um, this meme persists is because people literally uh, have 0% understanding of what the government is, how it works, what is the law? That is not a simple question. And it has very specific technical answers. So if you have an entire society and world of people who don't understand government and politics at all, um, of course they'll use those words to mean really anything. They, they, if, if they knew specifically what they meant or even a little bit what they meant, they probably would start to use the words more specifically. That's just the case with language in general. Mm-hmm. So one of the main things that's driving this use of the anti-politics meme is quite simply people don't know what the actual system is anyway. So they have no way to even use it specifically, even if they wanted to. And that's something I work on changing. Yeah. And 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 one of the things that I really enjoyed about, about your essay, another essay, was this concept of, um, and we're still talking about politics, slaying your political gods. I think that that was the, the, the term. And I, I was reading that, and I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about that idea. And then I will quote you like this one idea that you shared and that I'm really curious about what do you mean by that. But before that, can you please talk, tell us a little bit more about what you mean by slaying your political gods? Well, because of their general ignorance of government and law and how all of those things work, people invent mythologies as to why things happen in the wider world, which, I mean, that that happens in every human domain. If you don't know what you're talking about, you make stuff up. Um, And we've seen that on a grander civilizational scale in the past and in the present as well. I mean, um, certain civilizations, if they don't have explanations for natural phenomena, they make up Zeus and they say Zeus does lightning rather than a a particular kind of relationship between charges in the atmosphere and the earth. So when I say slaying your political gods, what I mean is most people, because they don't understand these systems, have invented their own gods, the expl- the, the good gods and the bad gods to explain what happens in the political realm. Mm-hmm. So that means they will pick um, either politicians that they know about or billionaires. They will pick some avatar And they will say, this person is the good guy. This person is the reason why all of the good stuff happens. Mm -hmm. Or this person's the bad person. This reasons, this is what all the bad stuff happens. And they will also do, they'll also form teams. These are the good gods. These are the bad gods. And people need to stop thinking about the government that way, because quite simply, that's not really how it works. It's not like, it's not like this language isn't important politically, because you must realize that people thinking this way does have political consequences. I'm not saying that's not true. What I am saying is if you are interested in deliberately changing the government, you have to slay the gods and you have to look at the actual system to see how it works on the ground in the same manner and for the same reason as if you wanted to um, build a Tesla coil and and arc electricity, you must slay Zeus first Mm -hmm. and then look into the laws of physics. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So one of the things that you, you mentioned in that article is this idea of um, when when you're having a political conversation that is going bad, it's probably because you're thinking about good good versus bad uh, instead of cause and effect. Uh, mm-hmm. And I I really find that idea interesting. So can you please clarify what you mean by that? Well, if you are looking at something that happens in society having to do with law or government, as I said, most people, when they wonder why something happens, they will just say, oh, it's because the good guy or the bad guy did it, the good God or the bad God did it. And I say that is the wrong frame. 
um, it's a very impoverished way um, of approaching cause and effect. So I don't look for good guys and bad guys. That's not to say there aren't good actors and bad actors, but I don't look for that primarily. I look at the system and say, what are the attributes of the system that cause this effect? Which is to say, what are the very specific laws? What are the regulations? How are they interpreted in a very technical sense by the political apparatus? Mm-hmm. And how does that have a direct influence on um, actors, market-based and otherwise? Mm-hmm. So you look for cause and effect by looking at, uh, by deliberately looking at concrete aspects of the governmental system and how it's carried out, yeah. which is very different than trying to find good guys and bad guys. Yeah, but my question is, isn't that like the the whole tribalism in trying to find the good guys and bad guys, isn't that part of our nature as well? Uh, like that that was my main thought when I was reading this, which is it, it makes a real sense, but I think that in in part where our wire for our default is to find where are my tribe, where, where are the good guys, the people that I, I I somehow identify and make sure that I identify with them so we can so I can have a group and 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 like resume my my worldview into something way easier to process because as you were saying like government is a complex mm-hmm. system right and most people i mean i'm making a generalization maybe not most people but a lot of people uh they don't want to face that complex system so approaching mm-hmm. it like from a, a, a easiest mode where i think that these guys are good these guys are bad is like this um strategy that people can use and i and mm-hmm. it's and is it not like add wire into us? So like, how can we solve that? Like, how can we make people stop uh, looking at this, this kind of issues through a lens of where are the good guys, where are the bad guys and start to embrace the complexity that um, is a government and a governmental system? Well, I, I mean, I don't think that we can get rid of the tribal impulse just because we are, we're humans and we're social that is hardwired into us. And it's, it's not something that you get rid of, but it is something that you can put in a correct intellectual or cultural context. So for me, taking the tribal instinct as a given, it is much more of a problem when you have mass ignorance about how the government works and not just how the government works, but which government is the most important to you? Because there's federal in the US, there's the federal government, state governments and city and local governments. Mm -hmm. So knowing what is important in government is not merely about knowing how does it work generally, but which one should you be focusing on? Mm -hmm. And um, so as far as as far as tribalism goes, like I said, you can't get rid of it. And also, it's, it would be an impossible task for someone to take on um, the the task of trying to change every single person's mind in America about um, don't be tribal, just go based on your intellectual understanding of the government. It's never worked that way and it never will. And that's also not what I propose to do. I just propose to focus on the New York City government specifically. And I propose to change the minds of at least a thousand people and allow them to see the government in a specific technical way. So let's focus on that. Like you're building something called Maximum New York, and that's your main project right now. Um, can like for someone who never heard of it, uh, explain to us what it is, how it works, etc. Yeah, and this will also go back. This will also directly answer the question: How do you get more people into government? Yeah. Uh, which I still haven't gotten to. So, um, Maximum New York's general project takes several uh, has several assumptions at its base. Uh, One of them is that growing New York and making it bigger and better is one of the most important things that we can do for the 
flourishing of humanity in New York, in America, and the world. Part of that is because of the cascading positive externalities that come from urban agglomeration. And New York already produces so many of those, and it can produce so many more on, or, on orders of magnitude more than it does now. So from an economic perspective, there's a huge argument for growing the city. Um, from a cultural standpoint, um, a lot of people want to live here but can't. And I think that is a shame and very bad. Um, people, I think people should be able to live where they want to the largest extent that we can accommodate them. Um, I want to move, I wanted to live in New York and I'm glad that I was able to swing it, but um, the high prices of rent and a variety of other things that are political questions that are broken political processes prevent people from being able to move here. So um, the task of Maximum New York in order to make New York bigger and better is to change the political system so that New York can build again. That means housing, that means transit, that means getting trash off the streets, that means fixing a variety of other systems. So the primary task is to change the political system. Well, how do you do that? It's not like other people haven't tried. Um, and so my, my theory of political power says one of the reasons why this hasn't been able to be changed is because there are remarkably few minds available to work on the problem. Mm. There are very few minds available who understand the New York City political system in general totality at the very least. And so they're not even able to think about the problem. So for me, the first thing I say is, well, we must bring more minds online. First of all, if you can't do that, you will not be able to accomplish uh, a renaissance of the system. Mm -hmm. So this, and so for me, this is where I developed the classes that I teach as part of Maximum New York. The first one is called the Foundations of New York, and it takes people from knowing zero to knowing the whole shape of the government in addition to its relevant reservoirs of law. So what is the law specifically? Where is it written down? Where can you find it? How does it work? Mm. So, and, and what is the relevant political history of New York City as well? Because there's a lot of stuff that is very, it's not just interesting, it has relevant operational knowledge to be pulled out of it. So because I think adding more minds to the network of, or because I think bringing more minds online is key and is the fountainhead, it's fully upstream of all other problems. That's what I'm focusing on now. And as more minds are brought online, then we can start working in the political system in larger and larger ways. And because it's a networked group of minds that all understand the government and the law, they'll be able to think of different levers to pull, different ways to approach things than those who don't have that understanding. And I'm already seeing that. Um, there's a, a lot of different people in the class. There are, I mean, there's a lawyer, there are software engineers, there's people in all kinds of jobs and all kinds of walks of life. But the thing that they share is after maybe about class three, you see the light bulb turn on in their eyes and they realize that this is a this is an understandable system mm. that they can do something with. Mm. And at that point, it becomes psychologically interesting to them. So if you're if you're asking the question, how do you get people involved in government? That's really not the way that I approach it. Um, I approach it like you you have to construct a system where you make the idea of learning about the system appealing and fun and if you do that people will come to understand the system and they will cultivate the psychological capacity to be interested in it in the first place hmm. so uh, and then they'll just be intrinsically motivated yeah so I don't, I'm not, I, I'm not constructing this political group 
or this political movement um, in, in such a way as I'm sitting at the top and I'm asking everyone else to take marching orders, which is how most political groups are constructed. Mm -hmm. um, and of course, the people who take marching orders don't actually understand that much. The way I'm constructing it is allowing people to see how the system works for themselves and allowing that part of their brain to turn on and find the system intrinsically interesting. Mm -hmm. After which point, it's it's a, they'll want they want to engage with it um, yeah. because they can see they can do it. Yeah. So that's such um, smart and, and thoughtful way to interact with the problem, right? Because 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 basically what you're saying is instead of, of of crafting a direction and saying let's all march there, you're saying look, understand how this works and then uh, interact with it and 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 change the system after you understanding how it works. So what are some of the changes you're expecting to see? Uh, after some people um, start to understand how does the system work? Changes in them or changes no, in, in, the in the system itself? Like uh, when, when you're e equipping people with the knowledge to understand like this system, um, what are some of the, the, the outcomes that you're expecting to, to happen? If well, there's two <clears throat> yeah, well, there's, there's broadly speaking two classes of outcome. There is changing there's changing the intellectual sphere of things there's which is like the political discourse in the city who talks about politics and who pays attention to who it is that's talking about politics on the other side is the deployment of hard power getting votes getting people elected changing the laws directly through those means <clears throat> um the second silo will take just a little bit longer um and i'm primarily at this moment focused on the first silo yeah. um so some of the changes that are happening already are people are now excited to write about politics online and talk about it on Twitter. The people who have gone through cohort one of the foundations of New York um, because they feel like they understand the system. And for the first time they realize, I kind of know what I'm talking about. Um, one of the things that keeps a lot of smart people away from politics, well, there's two things. Number one, when they think about talking about politics online, they look at political Twitter, which is a cesspool. Um, they see people yelling at each other about gods, basically. Yeah. They see they see people who aren't really talking about real things. They see people who lob ad hominem attacks. They see a place that is not for progress or for actually thinking seriously about problems. And they say, I don't want to have anything to do with that. Um, what I do is say, well, then don't. But that doesn't mean you don't have to have anything to do with politics. Yeah. What because what you're looking, what generally what people are looking at when they look at political Twitter or politics online is the bad version of it, the version that is um, linked to gods. And of course, that can spill over to any part of the internet. Uh, you're you're kind of not totally safe. Um, but what I'm doing is just allowing people since they're intrinsically motivated to, to write about politics from a standpoint of understanding the system and speculating about what they could do. Mm -hmm. um, and we're not writing about in the American context, it would be blue team versus red team. We're talking about New York city politics. And so we're talking about, for example, like how would you amend the city's administrative code to achieve a certain goal? Um, how would you approach a community board if you had, if you wanted to um, expedite a building's pro uh, a building's, progress through the uniform land use review procedure. So, I mean, these things don't mean anything to most people, yeah. um, which, but they are the important things that you actually want to do on the ground. So if you're writing about things specifically, very specifically 
for the most part, most people won't engage with you in the first place because they don't know what any of this is. They'll say, but who's the good guy? And yeah. my response is, yeah. And I'm like, well, I mean, that's not what I'm, we're, that's not exactly what we're talking about here. Um, which again is not to say there aren't good actors and bad actors, but our primary focus is looking at the system. And so because, because of this flip and how politics can be written about, people are excited to write about it now. So there are many more people coming online who are writing about politics in this very actual concrete way. How do we do things? Mm -hmm. And they're starting off by at least writing to each other because mm -hmm. they all know that everyone else in, in cohort one understands what they're talking about. And that group of people will only get larger. Um, my goal is for a hundred people to have graduated from the foundations of New York by the end of the year. And I think we'll get to 1000, I mean, in a year or two, mm -hmm. we'll see how fast things can go. Mm -hmm. But um, if you, if you just drop a thousand people into a city's political system that can all discuss the system at this high of a level, that alone is enough to significantly change the political discourse. Um, and, but of course, that's not, that's not where you stop. You can't stop there, but um, that is where you have to start. Mm -hmm. So that's the first consequence of this to answer your question. Yeah. And, 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 and it's so interesting because as you said, like you said a bunch of things that to me that didn't take the course mean absolutely nothing. But I do believe that if someone is like, it's almost like you're crafting a, a, like a specific kind of language that then allows for a group of people to actually interact with the bigger system and then create changes for people like mm -hmm. me and others that don't understand what you're talking about, but you end up creating changes that can be seen and perceived. So uh, one of the things that I, 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 I was curious about is how, do, how like for someone who's on the outside, um, like you talk a lot about doing and about changing real things. And for a lot of us, or at least for me, I, I, look, at the, I, I look at politics um, as, as something which is rather hard to change. Uh, is this true? Is it not? How, how, and if it is, how can we deal with uh, that, that difficulty in changing uh, the politics? Well, the first thing I say, because people do mention this to me all the time, they say um, politics is incredibly hard. So I'm going to focus my energy on the private sector or elsewhere, or mm -hmm. well, politics are irreparably broken. So I'm going to focus my energy elsewhere, this kind of thing. My general first response is, how do you even know that? Um, because to perform what, what someone has done there is they performed an evaluative function on the governmental system. And the result of that is them saying it's broken. It doesn't work. But what I say is, I don't think you have the information to even perform that evaluative process to perform it in the first place. You have to understand the system hmm. um, to be able to discern whether or not it's functioning. And of course, all of us can see some of the effects of the system. We can see that, for example, in America, we have a, a severe housing supply shortage because the political process is blocking it. So you, you can see some dysfunction, but without really understanding the system, you can't really discern whether or not big change is a feasible thing to do. Mm -hmm. So, so the first thing I say is, well, if you, if you think politics are broken, I will ask what I ask most people as well, explain how your government works to me in five minutes. Yeah. If they, if they can't do that, then, uh, I think to myself and say some version of it to them. Well, I think maybe you don't know whether or not it's good or bad, broken or not broken, if things are possible or not possible. Mm -hmm. um, and to to them, I hope that feels interesting and maybe good and yeah, maybe uh, a case like, for optimism. Because yeah, oh, cool. yeah, 
Well, yeah, because even before you've looked into the system, I think most people should realize, you know what? I don't actually understand any of this. Um, I just have this gut feeling that everything is bad and broken because that's what everyone else is saying. Mm -hmm. But is that true? And I will say this, the more I, when I first started to research the New York City government and its history, its relationship with our state capital and the federal government, I didn't actually know. I was setting off to think to myself, is this something I want to do? Is there a possibility here? Mm -hmm. And the more I learned, the more I thought there is possibility here. And the system is remarkably okay. Mm -hmm. I was pleasantly surprised at many turns. So I will say um, to to people who think the system is broken or it's really hard, uh, it is hard. Definitely. Absolutely. Just like many things. Um, but it is there are things you can do. There is much possibility. There is much optimism. And any most of the things worth doing in this life are difficult. Yeah. Do you want to found a company? That's difficult. Do you want to raise, do you want to raise a family in a superlative fashion? That's difficult. Um, do you want to change the substrate within which all of society grows? Yes. That's hard too. Of course that's hard. It would be weird if that were easy. Yeah. Um, and so I so like, of course it's hard. That's not really the question, though, for me. Uh, it's The question is, well, can you do something about it? And my answer is definitely yes. And I'm extremely optimistic in an informed fashion about what is possible. And I invite other people, if they don't think that now, to ask the question of themselves, but do you have the information that allows you to perform that evaluative process in the first place? Yeah, that's, that's such an hopeful uh, view on politics. Like, it's such a fresh, um, like, such a fresh vision, because... It, it's it's almost like we're we're always listening to this discourse where well politics is hard and politics are broken and and I'm not because because that's an universal like thing right it's not only on the U.S. I mean I've grown uh, in Portugal I've never left the country uh, I've traveled but I've never lived right, right. elsewhere and all my life I've been hearing that like politics is hard and I'm not sure if if like I'm not saying that. The politics in Portugal is exactly the same as as in in New York, but suddenly understanding like that there's hope that maybe we can actually do something that changes uh, the, the the structure is, is is something that's so different from the the usual political discourse, uh, and and it feels really good. So you mentioned that um, you you must start there. Uh, but you can't stop there. So what's after doing that? Like what, what are some of the next steps? Like what do you believe it's, it's, it's the, 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 the course of action into the, the kind of change that you're seeking? Well, I'll give you two answers. The first is very explicit. And the second one is not so much more speculative. As far as explicit actions, it means forming a voting block. So, um, Elections in New York City are not determined by millions of votes. They're, term they're determined by hundreds and low-level thousands of votes. It It is not that hard to create a voting block that size. Mm. So a part of building this group is also building a voting block. And in large part, a lot of the people who are coming into this class and coming into the orbit of Maximum New York have never voted before. So these are also new voters. So the, the organization is also... Uh, is also creating new voters in the first place. Mm -hmm. So creating a voting block is an example of wielding concrete, hard political power, because mm -hmm. it, it really isn't that hard to say swing a mayoral election in New York City, or at least not as hard as people think. 
because it's not a matter of convincing the whole city. It's a matter of convincing a few thousand people. Mm. And say, if you have a core group of 1000 people in your, in your group or in my group, maximum New York, uh, and you count them and several, several of their friends and acquaintances each, that's a large enough political block to do quite a lot in the city. Yeah. So voting, voting is the quintessential example of wielding hard power in most Western systems and New York City in particular. Um, but it's also not about, it's not just about that. Um, there are not just elected positions in the government, but appointed positions and hired positions. The government in New York at the moment, I think there are 280 thousand government employees. So if you want to make the governmental system better, you don't have to run and be elected. You could be hired and you could work on the system that way. Um, so those are a variety of things people can start to do relatively immediately or that the people in this orbit can do well within the next year. Mm-hmm. So um, forming a, a, a coherent voting block and working for the government, or even building things for the government and just giving to them, giving those things to the government for free, or at least as a saying that exists to exert pressure on the government to do better. Those are all things people can do right now. But the other thing I'll say is, um, is an analogy to market forces. So if you ask, well, what can the group do? Some of the things the group can do, I can't anticipate and no one can anticipate. So if you look at market-based economies and how markets work, um, one of the interesting things about markets is you can't necessarily determine what products they will come up with to solve a problem beforehand. Mm-hmm. And so, um, I mean, this, this I've had this conversation with people who, um, and th- this is not a common commentary on capitalism versus socialism or anything like that. It's just a commentary on people who like markets and people who think markets shouldn't exist, or that you should have a different method of allocating things in society. Um, So for people who think we shouldn't use markets, they say, well, um, we can deliberately plan and engineer what we need, and then we can just build it. And someone on the more market side might say, well, for a variety of reasons, I think it's best to leave things to markets. We don't know what they will come up with, but probably they'll come up with something. That explanation seems a little hand wavy. Mm. Um, like, mm, will they though? It seems like you're evading the question. But oftentimes markets work exactly that way. Mm-hmm. They produce unexpected things we didn't think of to solve problems. And I, or in other words, to say um, the the solutions that they come up with are the result, uh, are the emergent result of all of the decentralized actors in the market-based system being coordinated by the market really hard to anticipate some things that come out of that, but things do come out of that. Similarly, in the political realm, if you network a large group of minds together to all start thinking about politics with a very high minimum level of knowledge, and you 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 jumpstart a political scene, it's kind of hard to determine exactly what they'll think about in advance. Um, what they will, everything that they will do will be an emergent phenomena of this network of minds. Now, I have certain hard political goals that I think should be done, of course, but I don't know what everyone, I don't know what will happen when there's a thousand of us thinking all through all of these things, having friendly intra-scene competitions. Um, And I'm excited to see that. But I do think, you know, with reference to my market analogy, I am very confident that this group will produce things. 
Absolutely. Interesting things. It, and, and it's almost like you're creating, as, as I talked with Andrew in, in, in the last episode, uh, like you're creating these scenes where things can, different things can emerge. Uh, into yeah. Yeah. That, that makes sense. So one of the questions that I was wondering uh, is like, does, do you think that this should work or that it would work on other cities? So what I mean is you're, you're doing that with New York City and, uh, do you think that someone can build like maximum Chicago, for instance, and do precisely the same thing and, and try to build this? Can, can, can this be a model to produce uh, a new political um, approach or a new approach to, to, to politics? Perhaps. <clears throat> I mean, this ties into another thing that I talk about all the time, which is in ways people don't expect political knowledge is not scalable. So what I mean by that is you can't learn just about politics in the abstract and then go apply that anywhere. Mm -hmm. I mean, as I said, in the American system, we have three primary layers of government, although there are interesting combinations of these that exist as well, federal, state, and local. And if you get to know the New York City political system very well, which is a complex system that also ties in with our state capital and the federal government in certain ways that are important, a lot of that knowledge doesn't transfer anywhere else because yeah. the the conditions, the particulars of that system are unique. So mm -hmm. um, I couldn't just take all of this knowledge and say, go to Chicago and then analogize all the New York stuff to the Chicago stuff. That wouldn't work. Yeah. Their context is different. Their city government is different. Their city government's relationship to their state capital is different. Yeah. Th that's not to say you can't port some knowledge. Um, there are technical aspects of the law that are the same yeah. everywhere. But as far as the, con I mean, I'll, I'll say concrete and emphasize concrete, the concrete political realities of yeah. each political system are different. Yeah, and so, oh, so go ahead. Sorry, sorry to interrupt, but what I mean was, what I wasn't clear with my question, like that I can understand. What I was thinking is like, you, you took this approach of actually understanding how the system works and then oh, I see. this this co course where people can understand what how the system works and then create change. And I was wondering if that approach to understanding first how the system works, then uh, teach a bunch of different folks about that and then create political change. Do you think that's something that can happen in other cities? I don't see why not. Yeah. Um, I mean, yeah, because the basic approach is just learn about the system and then begin to work on the system mm -hmm. if you zoom all the way out. And you can do that in any political system. Yeah. Um, the thing I will say, though, is I, I don't know how optimistic or non-optimistic the other political, like how I would think about the other political systems if I learned about them. So mm -hmm. um, I'm pursuing this in New York because I think the system is okay and there's a lot yeah. of levers to pull and I'm very optimistic. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if I would think that way about every other city or every other place in America. Yeah. Because, um, so, and uh, sorry to. Uh, no, that's it. Go ahead. Okay. Uh, so, because that, that was precisely another thing that I was thinking about, which was like you, you were talking, and in my mind, I was thinking, do, do you see yourself like an outlier? Because, like, you bring such a fresh air um, to, 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 to this conversation. And I was wondering, like, would, do you think, like, other people would look at the same thing that you're looking and still um, see like uh, the the system and, 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 and the laws and the government as something that is fundamentally broken or just because I have access to the knowledge, I'll suddenly understand how uh, possible it is to, to, to make change. Like, are you an outlier because you're, you're, you keep this optimistic 
approach or a view actually um, towards the, the New York system? Do you think everyone would develop that view if they understand how it works? Uh, I don't think everyone would develop that view. And in fact, some people, once they acquire this knowledge, are more than ever entrenched in their view that the system is impossible. Mm. Um, often, And I mean, I've spoken with people who have worked in the city government about this, and I've brought my project up to them. Oftentimes, their response is that it is some version of naive or misguided. Mm. And I understand why they think that. Um, and because that that impulse somewhat lives within me as well, because it is a very hard thing to do. Mm -hmm. And a lot of other people have tried it. So when I'm talking to people who have this particular view, they've talked with tons of other people you could classify as political entrepreneurs, people who start mm -hmm. groups to try to do things. And I'm just another one and it's a very mm -hmm. long line. So from their perspective, it's just, oh, here's another person who's tried to who's an ideologue trying to do things in New York city politics. He'll be squished just with all the rest. Mm -hmm. Um, for a variety of reasons, I think that's wrong. And um, I think oftentimes when people have the view that things are irreparably broken, it's more, it's more about their wider view of the world that they would project onto anything at all. It's not necessarily about the political system itself, which again is not to say that this isn't hard and there is no guarantee of success, of course. But um, yeah, to answer your question, there are people who do understand the system very well because yeah. they've worked within it. Um, and they, under, they understand a lot of its details in some ways, much more than I do, because if you, for example, if you're working in a particular department of the government, of course, you will understand its internal processes more than someone else who doesn't. Yeah. However, that also doesn't guarantee you'll have the correct evaluation of them, yeah, especially, yep. Well, especially, especially in the context of the whole governmental system. Mm -hmm. So the relevant knowledge here is not just what are the particular processes of one silo of the government, but what are the characteristics of the entire system and what yeah. are its possibilities? Yeah. And also you're, you're a human being. And, 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 and let's say that because I, I haven't done that much work in politics. I, I mean, any work in politics at all, but I did do uh, a bunch of training sessions and workshops and different soft skills to um, different uh, government um, fractions in, here in Portugal, both local and national. And mm -hmm. one of the things that I realized was that, like, let's say that you're part of a government and you have a, a bad experience in, in your workplace, which in, unfortunately is it's pretty common, not only in government, Very but common. in private. It's, it's, it, you just have, like, those happen, right? And that just taints the way you look at the company or you look at the government. Right. So if you're talking with someone that had a bunch of bad experiences while working, um, they'll of course, they'll look and say that the, the system is fundamentally broken. And sometimes you look at him and, and, and you go like, well, if this person says that it's broken, who am I that I, that it's outside of the system to say that they're wrong? But in fact, in my experience, what I've realized is that sometimes and once again, I don't want to, to generalize, but there were a lot of people that I've met that work in government that believe that politics is, is basically uh, doomed, not because politics is actually doomed, but because they had bad experiences that changed their own worldview about what's possible or not. That doesn't mm -hmm. mean that that's actually factual truth, right? Um, right. And I've encountered people who work for the government who think things can go well, too. Yeah, so absolutely. So in, in that circumstance, you ask, well, who's right? 
I mean, yeah. just because one has worked internally for the government does not ensure one will have a correct evaluation of that system's possibilities. Absolutely. Um, and yeah, and, and that does make a lot of sense. So a question that I, I have, like, as you know, the, the podcast is focused around this idea of the modern golden age. And I was wondering like two things. So the first one is I would ask you to please uh, describe to our listeners what the modern golden age looks like to you. And the second one is how does politics relate with that? Well, a, a broad golden age. So for me, a golden age is a circumstance when things are at their best, when things broadly are going their best. So if you zoom out all the way, say you're looking at America or the world, America where I'm based or the world, that would mean wealth and well-being are at their highest, both in absolute and per capita terms that they have ever been. That would be the very broad definition. Um, the more specific definition, how does this relate to politics? That means that the government is highly responsive. That means that the people who are elected and work in the government are very smart system thinkers, the kinds of people you would find in this corner of Twitter. Um, those kinds of people would be going into the government, would be listened to in the government, um, and would be actively deploying their skills in the political realm more broadly. Hmm. So the, the two-prong answer to your question, how does politics apply to a golden age specifically. Number one, it means that the government and the laws themselves are structured in such a way that allows expedient deployment of resources for the betterment of the city, the state, and the country. Mm -hmm. And the second thing is a change in the citizenry. What does it mean to be a citizen? The second change is there would be virtuous citizens. I think we have largely given up at least in New York and most of America, we've given up on the idea of civic virtue and what that means specifically. What does it mean to be a citizen? What are your obligations to the city? Mm. Um, especially in New York, most people come, and I don't blame them, most people come here to chase an opportunity and then they that opportunity leads them somewhere else and they leave, or they come here to chase an opportunity. They don't understand the political system, so they never touch it. And that's that's the end of it. So they're here, but they're and they're accumulating resources for themselves, but they're not deploying those in service of the city to make it better. Mm. And so for me, the second characteristic of the golden age, like it's not just about the government and the people who are in it. It's about the broader populist citizens themselves. Um, you get the government you deserve. And you can't expect to have an amazing government without amazing citizens. So again, another psychological thing that's at play here, when people blame the government for problems or say it's irreparably broken, another thing that I do say is, well, how do you think it got that way? It's generally because most people, the smartest people said, you know what, I'm not going to deal with this, yeah. even though government is the most important thing. So if you're looking at cause and effect there, it's not the government that's to blame, at least not only the government, it's also many of us individually because we didn't do anything. So I think people also need to examine if they're blaming the government so much for going wrong, they should also examine what they have to do with that. Mm -hmm. And they do have something to do with that. Absolutely. And, and so what does like this, in a, more, in a, a golden age, um, what are some of the characteristics that you think that this active citizen would have? Like you talked about how the government would work in order to produce that golden age. And 
but and, and then you said perfectly well not only government but citizens should be also part of that change like what does that kind of citizen uh looks like well in many ways it's it's like what i i'm sure you discussed with other people it's citizens who take seriously the idea of cultivating community and community is a group of people with many interlocking ties binding obligations social and otherwise and taking that seriously also means taking seriously the idea that politics is inescapable mm. uh, you may not be interested in politics but politics is interested in you mm. and when most people focus on cultivating community now especially there's an emergent wave of people who are very interested in reclaiming community from our atomized modern culture mm but they completely neglect politics when they build their community. Mm. Again, I understand why they do. There's not only the anti-politics meme, but their model for how to incorporate politics into a community is incredibly toxic. Yeah. But what I say is there is a good way to weave that into community and you must. Mm. Otherwise your community is susceptible to the whims of the broader political system. It will not be able to defend itself. Yeah. And in fact, a lot of your efforts might wind up being in vain. So, um, so uh, can you restate the question? Yeah, no, I think you you you, you nailed it because the thing is, uh, I was asking like, what does that season looks like? Uh, and 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 you're basically, from what I'm understanding, you're 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 talking about someone who creates that community, but then doesn't forget that as as an individual, we, we should get to, into this community that, that produces the modern golden age, but we should also include politics in it to make sure that it, it, it becomes this anti-fragile um, community, basically, because I, I never thought about that. Like, you can have, like, all this work building a community that is aligned with having, uh, with promoting that modern golden age, but then you can be overpowered by social politics that somehow... Uh, ended up like disturbing the force in your community because you didn't have like the, the people focused on making sure that the politics the politic side and the government was also aligned with what you're doing. So that that makes um that makes total sense. I don't know if you want to add anything to that. Um so as far as like what what the citizens would do, the, the answer that I just gave is about how to build community and how you have to weave politics into it. And I will say that's very abstract that I, I, no one can pull operational knowledge out of what I just said. <laughs> um, so I will acknowledge that. I mean, we do. There are specific things that I mean that we get into in the class and that I talk with people here in New York City who are building communities. But besides integrating politics in your into your community, it's it's also just taking seriously the like citizens will realize that politics is a science as complex and as deserving of respect as something like physics or biology. So as of right now, I think implicitly, a lot of people walk around thinking some version of, oh, if things get really bad politically, I'll just parachute in and help wherever I can. I think that fundamentally misunderstands the nature and difficulty of politics. And it also is incredibly hubristic to assume that you would be able to parachute in no matter how smart you are i equate that as saying uh oh i'll just parachute with if you have no training in physics oh i'll just parachute in to a physics lab and help them figure out the really hard questions at the last second yeah i i think that that statement is just as ridiculous as people who implicitly think oh i can just pick up politics easily i'll parachute in if i'm needed yeah. this is incredibly complex 
because it's it's not just the cartoonish version of politics that you pick up on maybe Twitter or YouTube or wherever. This is also the technical science of law. Mm. It's an incredible, it's incredibly complex whether or not people realize it. So another important thing is people will realize how complex it is, why it's complex, and they'll adjust their expectations of how they need to interact with the system based on that new appreciation, mm. which is also to say they will be able to interact with it in a more successful way. Yeah. That makes total sense. You're, you're making me want to move to New York just to uh, be able to take your course and actually make something with it. That that makes that, that makes total, total sense. So and, and speaking about it, just so so we can wrap up. Um, like mm -hmm. I know that you have like a second cohort um, open for 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 um, for people that want to sign in. Just tell everyone listening if they want to talk with you or know more about uh, the Maximum New York or and maybe even uh, sign up to the to the second cohort where they can do it and why should they do it? I mean, I well, think so, you already answered, but yeah, if, um, if you want to give us your pitch, you can do it as well. Yes. So the second cohort is actually ongoing now. So oh. the applications for cohort two, we just had class three uh, yesterday. Mm -hmm. um, So in addition to the, the foundational levels, uh, there's the foundations of New York, which is the six week course that is the introduction to everything. There's also the 201 level, the level that's above that one. The first cohort of that one also just started yesterday. So uh, it, well, there, there's multiple levels here. So cohort one gives you the introduction and the knowledge that you need. And cohort two is about doing things, primarily doing things. Um, so all that said, cohorts three and four I think there were, there's enough interest to run those simultaneously. They're run in person here in New York City because I think it's important to do politics in person for a variety of reasons. Um, those will start at the end of August. However, if someone is interested in this project or they're interested in maybe what they can do with their own city, um, things I'm working on now and will respond to demand if it crops up. If someone wants um, a virtual class that's sort of Um, broadly, here's how you here's how you can go about learning about the law in general where you are. If someone wanted to do that, um, I offer that service so they can get my Twitter DMs. I also posted about this when I posted about cohort two in my in my Twitter thread and online. So um, the other options besides cohorts three and four, which are upcoming uh, at the end of August. Um, if there's people in New York who want to start a cohort right now and they can get a minimum group size of five, I'll start a cohort for you. So there's that way. Um, and, and like I said, if someone just wants to pull out specific operational knowledge to help them build their own version of this, or to help them at least gain the knowledge they need to figure out if their city or area is worth their time, um, I'll also talk to them about that. You can just get in my Twitter DMs or my email is on Maximum New York's website, daniel at maximumnewyork.com. Yeah, awesome. Daniel, thank you so much. We'll, we'll include the links to your Twitter and both the, the side of Maximum New York on, on the, the description. Uh, I just wanted to wrap up this and once again, thank you. Uh, thank you so much. It was a very informative and thoughtful um, podcast. I really enjoyed it. And I, and I do... I'll have to think about that approach uh, here in Portugal and in Lisbon. 
not not that I I'm not at all the person that understands uh, the science of politics. I'm not one of those who said that I can just parachute into politics. That's a very big monster that I am not yet uh, comfortable in, in in claiming anything at all uh, about that. But I'll definitely think about how can we bring that proximity and that understanding of, of the law and the politics, at least here in Portugal and, and maybe in, in Lisbon. So thank you so much for the conversation. It was a real pleasure to have you. Um, thank you for having me. That My pleasure, absolutely. To everyone listening, if you like the podcast, first of all, make sure that you follow uh, uh, you follow Daniel on, on Twitter and on his website as well. Check the, his essays, which are amazing, both in politics and in a bunch of other topics. We'll link to your website as well in the description. And if you enjoyed the podcast, please uh, rate it on your favorite podcast platform. It would mean the world to me uh, and it will allow me to keep doing these episodes. Once again, Daniel, thank you so much uh, and I'll see you all soon. Bye. Bye.